Maybe you don't know who I am. My name is Pastor Ben. I'm the campus pastor here. I had the honor and the privilege of getting to lead this team here at our broadcast campus and the honor and privilege to get to work under some of the best leaders, I think, that have ever stepped foot in the kingdom. And uh, I want to give honor to Pastor JC and, and to Pastor Kimberly. Thank you for letting me preach tonight and share the word. Could you give it up for our, our pastors, man? They're just special people. Then how, how am I even supposed to stand in this pulpit when the bishop, Pastor Allen, comes up here and drops a word on, on everybody? I want to give honor to you and Dr. Valerie for your 33 plus years of hard work and labor in the kingdom. You led well, you still lead well, and it's an honor. Could you give it up for our legacy pastors? Come on, you love them. I want to talk tonight about mistakes and how well you handle mistakes. In fact, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture tonight. A little bit of the word is always good. Can I get an amen from somebody? While you're turning there, let me give you some background and some context of what's happening in this story as we read about Samuel. Israel is now established in the promised land. They've been there for some time, and God has appointed, and that's the important part, he's appointed judges to rule over the nation. And so they've had men and women lead the nation over and over again, but they had a problem with that. The people had a problem with that. And they began to look around at all the other nations and everybody else in the world and what they were doing, and they really wanted a king. So they come to Samuel with this complaint, begging him in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Lord, give us a king. Give us a king, Samuel. In fact, they come to him and, and almost disrespectfully say, hey, give us a king who can actually lead us because Samuel, Samuel was a leader. He was a leader at the time. And so Samuel does what any great man of God does, and he consults the Lord. He tells God, hey, all the people, they're, they're, they're knocking at my door, they're banging at my door, they're yelling at me everywhere, demanding that I find them a king, that I anoint a king, that I pick a king. God, what do I do? And God responds to him in chapter 8, verse 7, and says, listen to what all the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but it's me they rejected as their king. And so the Lord instructs Samuel to do something unique. He says, go ahead on. And tell them what I believe is going to happen if they pick a king. And if they're still complacent and they still want a king, don't worry. I'm going to give them what they ask for. And sure enough, Samuel stands up with this prophetic word from the Lord. And he tells them everything that is going to go wrong if they pick a king. And just like a child who wants something, give me, give me, give me, they say, we don't care about any of that. Anoint us a king. And in that moment, they were asking for a king because they had forgotten that they already had the king of kings leading them. They already had the Lord anointing everything that they do. God was leading the people every day. There was a religious atmosphere. The, the power of God was in the house, and yet they still wanted this king. They still wanted a man to look up to instead of looking up to the God that led them out of the wilderness to begin them to begin with and put them in the place of promise that they're sitting in. And so they trade trash. They trade treasure for trash. They look, they, they got the king of kings, and they say, just, just give us a man. Just give us a man. Instead, and all because they're spending too much time comparing their life and their kingdom and their issues with everyone else around them in the world. You know, you need to be careful of what comparison will invite into your life. Wandering eyes can wander your soul. And many times we, we end up complaining about what we have because we're staring at what someone else has 
And just like the people of Israel were spending all this time, you see, comparison will do a lot of things to you, okay? Comparison will make you forget all the blessings you really had. Comparison will make you forget all those times that your wife gave you grace and gave you forgiveness. Comparison will make you forget all the times the Lord came in your life and provided financially for you and opened doors that you could never open for yourself. Comparison will cause a delay in your destiny because here's what happens. You sit there and all you do is look at the success of other people and you, especially in this culture today, we spend so much time imitating and trying to be them and, and we're trying to speak like them and act like them and buy what they buy and dress how they dress. The whole time wasting time we could have put towards our own destiny and at the end of the life we find out we've not really done anything with the time God gave us. Comparison will make you walk into a promise prematurely, and a premature promise always ends up in failure. We're not meant to look like the world, and that's what the people of Israel didn't get at the time. They were God's people. He led them different. He had different standards from them, but they're looking at the rest of the world, and they want to be like him, be like them, and, and be led by them, and so what do they do? They beg God to change his standard. We're not meant to look like the world. And so some of the ways you look at the crisis in your life, some of the ways you look at mistakes in your life, the unsaved people in your life just won't understand. Sometimes I've been guilty of being a little bit too much of an optimist. But I wasn't always an optimist. In fact, it wasn't until I found Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and I realized all that God has already blessed me with that everything just became half full all of a sudden. Where are my half full people at? Come on. Like, like it's raining and you're like, well, it's not raining that hard, you know, or, you know, it's hot. Well, it ain't that hot. You know, it's like it's always something a little bit better than we think. I love optimistic people. My people who just go, worst case scenario, raise your hand. Come on. We know. We know you're in here. You don't want to you don't want to raise your hand and admit the fact that you're a worrier but you're a warrior. And so they begged Samuel to anoint Saul as a king. And believe it or not, Saul reluctantly becomes the king. And they pick Saul. Here's why they pick Saul. You ready? He comes from a good family. He's the tallest man in all of Israel. He's handsome. He looks good. He's got muscles. You know, he's, he's looking all strong. And they're like, that guy looks like a king. Let's just pick him. And they pick Saul and he performs exactly like the prophetic word of the Lord says, and he falls flat on his face time and time again. And so Samuel is forced to watch this mistake, this man he anointed because of the pressure that people put on him, fail time and time again, all the way to the point where God gives so much grace to Saul, he finally just says, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this guy. We got to anoint someone else. And that's where you and I will pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to read verses 1 13 it says in verse 1 the Lord said to Samuel how long will you mourn Saul since I have rejected him king over Israel fill your horn with oil and be on your way I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem I have chosen one of his sons to be king but Samuel said how can I go if Saul hears about this he's going to kill me and the Lord said take the heifer with you and say I have come to sacrifice the Lord invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do you are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did exactly what the Lord said, and when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled, and they asked him, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, he saw Eliab and thought, Surely this guy's got to be the Lord's anointed. 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chose this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. These are just, they're not it. They're not, not what God has. And <laughs> Samuel asked a weird question to a dad. He says, Hey, you got any more sons like hiding around? And believe it or not, he still has one more son hiding in a field. He said, there's the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing in health and he had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise up and anoint him because this, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel then went to Ramah. This story is a really powerful example of how you can overcome a mistake. And how even though we make a mistake and the choices that we make and the people we pick to surround ourselves and lead us, God still has a plan and God can correct anything that you jack up. How many of y'all ever made a mistake in here? Come on. Anybody, if you're online, raise, your hand, raise both hands in the house. And, uh, you know, man, uh, trust me when I say this. I am the authority on mistakes. Like, if, it, if I can preach on anything, I can preach on mistakes because not only have I made a ton of them in the past, but I continually make mistakes all the time. Like, I can't get out of my own way. I have my own problem. Uh, prime example, let me tell you, to all the married folk in the house, you all know your spouse does something that gets on your nerves. Like, let's just be real. Can I get an amen from the men in the room to back me up? Thank you. You're also in trouble. I want you to know that tonight. You're going to be in trouble. But I got a bad habit, all right? Uh, when I come in the house, first thing I got to do is take off my shoes. And sometimes I'll drop them right in the middle of the doorway. And here's the bad part, man. Judah, my two-year-old, he does the same thing. He walks in the house. What does he do? He takes his shoes off and just throws them. Just throws them out. And he's just, shoes are everywhere. Not only do I set them out, but I don't pick them back up. And my wife, man, I'll tell you what, she will almost throw a shoe at me across the room. Like she is so, she told me the other night, I am so done with the 15 pairs of shoes you have in our living room and in our kitchen and by the door and in the garage. Shoes are everywhere. I have a problem. I actually love shoes. But let me tell you what, Miss Emily Warwick, she is, she's guilty. She's guilty of a few things too. My wife is a saint, but she got mistakes too. And my wife does this one thing, man, you talk about driving me nuts. She will eat a box of cereal, but she'll leave like just, just a little bit in the bag and put the box back in there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? She does it with chips and crackers. So when I go grocery shopping, what do I do? I open the pantry. I see a bunch of boxes. I go, oh, we're good. <laughs> I'm going to spend a little bit extra money on some steaks or something. And I come home with steaks and all this extra stuff. She's like, did you get crackers? Did you get cereal? I'm like, no, we got a box. But the box is empty like it's so empty I'm like that is so annoying like come on get over that you know I wish I wish that was like the only mistake I've ever made man let me give you two more great examples come on this is this is a great chance uh, for me to share uh invent some of my past with you uh I used to work at a polo store a polo Ralph Lauren outlet and uh, I worked with a co-worker she was awesome 
and uh, she was married. Uh, she ended up getting pregnant, and so she took this time off of work to take care of her baby, and her husband was making great money. She didn't really need to work. But later on, she got a job uh, at a store in the same outlet center where we were working at. And so here I am in line at the Dairy Queen that's in the outlet. And this lady walks in. Oh, my gosh, this is such a great reunion. I was like, oh, my gosh, hey, have you, you know, your baby, it's almost due, right? She was like, I had that baby six months ago. And I was like, dang. You know, like, how do you recover for that? I just grabbed that blizzard. I just walked away. I just, you know, I just left her hanging right there in the middle of Dairy Queen. Then, then this one I'm, I'm ashamed of, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you about this one. When I was in college, listen, I was broke. I didn't have no money. And uh, I had to go to a formal, and I needed a tie. So what did I do? I went into JCPenney, and I'm looking around, and uh, I find a tie. It's like $20, like $19 tie. And I come up to the counter. What does that lady say? The same thing that every retail specialist says. It'll be $19, but you can get 20% off if you open a credit card today. So what did I do? I was like, do it. You know, my first credit card, I never had one. And I was like, do it, man, hook me up with one of those right there. And uh, so she took the $2 off of this tie that I signed up for. And I put $19 on a credit card and forgot about it. And like nine months later, my dad goes, hey, man, you going to pay this J.C. Penny bill? Because the bill is going to my house at home. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll pay that. It's 20 bucks. He said, man, this is $168. What are you talking about? And uh, a $19 tie cost me $168. Why? Because I'm a doofus. And I forgot to pay it. Man, that compound interest to get you. Parents, teach your kids about interest, all right? It's important. Guess what? Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone in here has made a mistake at some point in time. And hear me, mistakes will either make you or they'll break you. Like, that, like you'll either come out better than you were before or you'll come out repeating the same thing over and over again. Some of y'all have been making the same mistake. It's like living in a bad dream over and over again. And I asked several staff uh, preparing this message this week. I said, hey, what's the worst part of making a mistake? And some of them said, well, admitting it. And some of them said the disappointment that people feel or disappointing other people. Some people said repeating it. And I don't know whether uh, for you it's making the initial mistake and admitting it, or if you're like me, man, I think this is the hardest part, is when you make the same mistake twice. That, that makes me feel real dumb. But all of us, all of us have made mistakes at some point in time. And when it comes to mistakes, let me be real clear. God has grace for every mistake that you've ever made in your entire life. God has grace for everything you've ever done wrong, both now and forevermore. And that's the powerful thing about God's grace is that it finds us where we are and it makes right everything that we made wrong. But I got news for you tonight. God's desire is not for you to stay that way. Like grace, grace is sufficient to wipe the slate clean, but God doesn't want you to get it dirty again. He wants something better for you. And God called me out of a life of crazy stuff. I mean, we could spend all night here talking about the laundry list and the rap sheet that I got. But God called me out of that life and I didn't go back. You want to know why? Because I found out that his grace opened a door to a life better spent. His grace opened a door to a life full of joy and full of peace. Repentance is not just asking for forgiveness. Repentance is a turning away. And for some of you tonight, you need to turn away from some of the mistakes that you made in your past. But you're still trying to crucify yourself for every day. I want to take 1 Samuel and I want to break down what I believe are some mistakes that everybody makes. Okay, let's, let's take this passage of scripture 
And let's break it down. The first mistake I think everybody makes is sometimes we spend too much time mourning our past mistakes. If you're taking notes, that's a great thing to write down. Sometimes we spend too much time mourning our past mistakes. If you break something or you make a mistake, you're going to mourn. But some of us have been dwelling on all the things that we did wrong in the past that we asked God for forgiveness for and covered under the blood and he washed away. And God's forgotten about the very thing you keep bringing him back up to. We spend way too much time just mourning. In fact, look at verse 1. He says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him king over Israel? God straight up tells Samuel, uh, I've moved on. This Saul experiment, it's over. It's like God's ready to just move on to, to the next one, the next king. Let's just find something else because this right here just didn't work out. And I think we have a lot of believers who are living in what they used to be instead of pressing on into who God wants them to be. They're all, all they can remember is every time they made a mistake before in their marriage and in their ministry or in their finances or in their parenting, right? Man, I, I'm three years into this parenting thing and I've made a plethora of decisions, of wrong decisions already. Like I can either worry about those and dwell on those or I can do my best to move on into what God wants for me too. Maybe you're worried about the mistakes you made tonight. I come by to tell you something. God already put those under the blood. God already washed those. We took communion tonight to remind you that there's grace and there's forgiveness for everything that you've done wrong. And one encounter with Jesus can expunge any record you've ever made in your entire life. The record of heaven is the most detailed one out there. But God can wipe everything clean. By just saying yes to Jesus. And if that's ever been anyone's story, it's been mine. Can I get an amen from somebody in here that knows what it's like to be forgiven in the house today? Aren't you glad that God doesn't write you off or cancel you for a decision you made 30 years ago or 30 seconds ago? That God has continuing grace. But here, let's just be real. I think some of us, I think many times we're more concerned uh, with the damage we've done to our own reputation than we are with the damage we've done to other people. Like if I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you, especially when I make a mistake a second time, I'm not worried about who I hurt. I'm worried about my reputation that I hurt. And pride, man, pride is not just not admitting that you make mistakes, but pride will keep you from moving on. Pride, pride will keep you from growing. In fact, pride will keep you from admitting you made a mistake to even begin with. Pride, pride is dangerous. There's a reason why the word of God tackles it so many times. Because as long as you believe in yourself more than you believe in the Lord, you always end up leaning on your own strengths. And I don't know about you, but I'm not that strong. Second mistake I see when I'm diving through this scripture happens in verse in verses two through three. Let me read them to you real quick. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears all about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint the one I indicate. The second mistake many of us make is we needing to know every detail. We come to God and we need to know every detail. And what God says to Samuel right here is just get the oil and go to Jesse's house. I'll tell you what to do when you get there, okay? And he even says, God, man, if Saul finds out, man, he's going to kill me. As if Saul has more power than the God who just appeared to Samuel in, in the room and in his mind and his heart and tells him exactly what to do. And Samuel's first response isn't, okay, God, I'm going to go. His first response is like, but it's dangerous, and then I don't know what to do when I get there. How am I supposed to know what to do? And instead, 
going immediately, he reminds God real quick about the threat on his life. You see, there's two plans for everyone in this room. There's God's plan, which will end up you walking into the destiny that he has for you. It'll end up in joy and peace. And then there's the enemy's plan, which always seems to be wrought with failure. It starts off really well, but the plane always crash lands later. God has a plan for everyone. And Samuel wanted to know every step. Where are my people that just got to know all the details before you do something? Like, you just got to just, just be real. You got to see the instructions first. You're not going to bake a cake blind. You're going to need every step along the way. When you measure out a cup of flour, you run your finger across the top. Like, you are, you are precise. Samuel wanted to know all the steps. But God is asking Samuel to trust him. That he's going to. Have what he needs when he arrives at the destination. God could have easily told him exactly who to anoint. He could have said, hey, go to Jesse's house. Ask him for his son, David. That's the one I want you to pick. But this task that he's giving Samuel is just as much about ministering to Samuel as it is about picking a king. You see, Samuel already made one big mistake in his choice, in the people's choice. And God was trying to show him if he would just listen to him and have a little faith along the way then he'd end up making the right decision. You see, faith faith isn't faith if you know every step. It's not. And many of the times, uh, we want to have faith. We say, God, give me great faith. And God gives you a task or he gives you a life-changing moment to step into. And you go, okay, that sounds really good. I want to be that. I want to do that. You just let me know when all 10 steps are completed and I'll step out, God. I mean, how many people walk in these doors every week And have a calling of ministry on their life. And they want to preach or they want to be a missionary or they want to to work with students and they want to work with kids. They want to change the world with the gospel of Christ. And yet they walk out going, okay, God, I'm still ready to do what you want me to do. But I'm just waiting on you to get my laundry list done. I'm waiting on you to get my 10 steps to success done. It's almost, man, back in school they would give us tests uh, in books, and if you flip to the back of the book, there were the answers. I never understood that. Like a crossword puzzle in a newspaper. If you just turn it upside down, there are the answers. Like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? That's, I don't feel accomplished when I do that. I just get it done. I don't learn anything. I don't move beyond anything. And God is trying to get a generation of believers to trust that he really does know what he's doing. That really, he really does hold everything in the palm of his hand. The, mis- the third mistake I see Samuel make and the people of Israel make is assuming that what we want to see is exactly what God is looking for. Assuming that what we want to see is exactly what God is looking for. What got Israel into this mess was picking a man who looked like a king. And what does Samuel do with the very first son of Jesse? Well, he's tall. He looks good. He's strong. He's the oldest. Clearly, this is the one that the Lord wants to anoint. And the Lord says, that's not it. And he looks at him and he says, that's not even what I'm looking for. It's not height and good looks. All the short people in here better be proud of that. Come on, somebody. Thank God. They picked Saul the first time because he was the biggest in the land. But the Lord was looking for a big heart. And we realize Samuel and God, they're on two different pages. Even after the mistake Samuel made, he listens to God about 70%. He gets there, right? And then he's trying to pick who he thinks. But that's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, when you see him, you'll know because that's that's what I'm going to tell you. This guy walks out and he tells God, God, this is the one, right? 
How many times do we try and tell God, this is it. This is the job. This is the opportunity. This is the relationship. This is the friendship. This is the house I need to buy. This is the car I need to buy. And God's like, nope. You're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong thing. You know, the more I get into ministry, the less I have tried to prophetically predict where God is going to pour revival out or what he's going to do next. Not saying there's not a place for that in the world, but I have struck out way too many times to keep guessing. So I'm in this mode now where I'm not trying to guess what God is doing next. I'm just telling God, whatever you do, know that I'm available. Whatever you want to do, God, just know. Whether it's red, yellow, black, and white, loud, quiet, whatever you want to do, whether it's in the streets or in the house or in my home, God, I'm available, and I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I want you to know this, that is exactly what God is looking for, is a heart that's willing to step out into something new, a heart that's willing to receive exactly where he's wanting to pour his people out. God is looking for people whose heart matches his, not whose looks match our own. And I'll pick somebody that looks like me. I'll say, that dude's got to be a good preacher, right? He's got the outfit. Like, he looks good. He's tall, right? Because that's what tall people do is they pick tall people. He's got to be it, right? He looks like a great preacher. And then when they get up there, they fall flat on their face. This is good news for all of us, okay, that don't have a degree or don't uh, have this long history of being perfect and being good. This is good news for those who are tall and those who are short and those who are pigeon-toed and those who ain't. Like, it's good news for everybody because here's what God's looking for is not what's on the outside of you but what's on the inside of you because what's on the inside of you will control what the outside looks like. If you're a person of great heart and great character, let me tell you what, people will love you because you will love them first. And so many times in this culture, we celebrate looks, talent, and, att- talent, uh, and, and, and ability long before we celebrate character and integrity. Give me somebody that looks like a good ball player, looks like a good leader. But don't give me somebody who's, who's been holy. Don't give me somebody who, who, who's got some character has not made a mistake. Don't give me somebody who, who, who's, who's not end up, uh, you know, who's never ended up in prison or never done anything wrong. And sometimes I think God's just looking for some people that got a good heart. And I've spent a lot of time in my life worrying about what I look like in the mirror when God's just put a mirror to my soul. He just wanted to see what's wrong in there. Most of my maturing actually hasn't happened uh, in my waist size or the length of my pants. Most of the maturing in my life has happened with the dirty, cloudy spots in my heart and in my soul. Mistake number four is a unique mistake. And this is something I want to explain. A mistake I see a lot of people doing is trying to pour out what we don't possess. God tells Samuel to get up, and then he says, grab the oil. Grab the oil and put it in the horn. And then go on your way. Have you ever met someone who gave you uh, advice, but they've never experienced what they've given advice on? You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody who's like, let me tell you how to parent, but I don't have kids, you know? Uh, let, me, let me tell you how you should speak, but don't ask me to speak because I don't do that thing, right? I had, a, I had somebody, tell, I had a mom tell me one time um, exactly what she thought a great drama ministry would be in our youth group. And in fact, she gave me a drama to do. She said, the Lord gave me this to you. And I was like, you know what, why don't you lead it? She was like, no, 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 honey. The Lord just gives me good ideas. You're the one that's supposed to do them. You know, and I was like, oh, okay. That's unique. Have you ever met somebody who gives you medical advice, but the only doctor they got is like Dr. Scholes? Come on, somebody. That was funny. Come on. 
Look at your neighbor and say, hey, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. You know, I love my father-in-law, and I'm not saying that because he's watching right now, you know. My father-in-law is a brilliant man, uh, a self-made man. Uh, he made mistakes early on, but fell in love with Jesus, and God took him on a wild ride to be an incredible CEO and an incredible leader. Um, but my father-in-law is not very handy, and I, however, have not been a CEO, but I am very handy. And uh, I'll never forget, this is so good to me, it's so good to my soul to repeat this story. And uh, this Thanksgiving, we're at a house, and uh, he's prepping dinner. He's in this his phase where he's loving to cook. He just retired, so he's trying to cook a bunch. And uh, he peels a ton of carrots for this, this pot roast stew thing. And uh, I look over, and this man has got like a cutting board of, of trimmings. And I see him just putting it in the garbage disposal. And I was like, hey, man, probably shouldn't do that right there. And uh, my brother-in-law was like, yeah, Paul, you know, a, a garbage disposal is not meant to take that much stuff. And in the most offended look I've ever seen him give, he looked at me and said, uh, guys, I've been doing this for years. It will be just fine. So what does he do? He proceeds to continue to stuff the carrot trimmings in there. We eat dinner and everything. We all go home that night. I'm at home. Later on that night, my father-in-law texts me, and what does he say? FYI, the garbage disposal just flooded the kitchen. <laughs> and I have never felt so vindicated in my life. I was like, yes. And if you have a father-in-law, you know what I mean. When they're smart, you're like, I, I beat you this time. Right? Like, I am smarter than you. You gave advice on something you didn't know anything about. And many, many of us, many of us are trying to bring peace into people's lives and our life is in turmoil. And many of us are trying to put joy in people's lives and tell them how to work on their marriage, but at night we go home and we argue with our wife. And many of us are trying to teach our kids how to live holy when they already know we're watching things we shouldn't watch and doing things that we shouldn't do. Where's the practice what you preach generation? When are we as believers going to rise up and not just talk about social justice and talk about loving our neighbor and when are we going to stand up and actually do it? When are we going to push beyond all the things that culture is trying to bind us with? And when are we going to walk in freedom and what God has for us? Samuel poured out the oil that he brought. He came prepared. He didn't just show up at Jesse's house and say, hey, David, uh, you're going to be the king. And that's that. Because that's not enough. In this time and in this period, the anointing is what symbolized the king. The public anointing of an individual by the high priest symbolized this is the one that's going to lead. This is the one that's going to do. This is the one that's going to walk and lead this nation and lead this kingdom. The oil, it represents the anointing of God. And I'm going to close and Micah can come his way back up. The only reason why Samuel had anything to pour out is because he possessed what he needed to pour out to begin with. You know, I see a lot of people in life trying to pour out revelation and joy and peace and, and money and the things that God's put in their heart and in their mind, and they're trying to pour it out on everybody around them with a good heart, but they're pouring it out and they're not filling anything back in. And instead of operating out of the overflow of their heart and the joy that lives in their heart, they're pouring out. Pastors are the worst about this. They're pouring out and they're pouring out and they're giving some from everybody, but their time with the Lord and their time in his presence and the anointing is missing in their life. And what happens when you continue to pour and pour and pour and pour? Eventually, you just simply run out. 
And everything you're trying to do, you can't do anymore. Why? Because you've just given it all away. And I can't help but wonder in here, how many people have just given forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness away to everyone else, but they never forgave themselves. And now that they've given it all away, they have nothing left to walk in healing with on their own life. I wonder how many of us have, have just given great moments and joy and great compliments to everybody, but we look in the mirror every night and we just hate what we look like. And we can't compliment our own self. I can't tell you how many people I see and talk to me all the time that after just talking with them for a few minutes, I can realize this person doesn't operate out of an overflow. If you want an overflow of the presence of God in your life, if you want an overflow of the joy of God in your life, first you have to get under what he's trying to pour out. You know, we, why is church important? Why is being in the presence of God important? Church is important. Being in the presence of God is important, not because we need people to fill a seat. Okay, It's not because all the volunteers that are here tonight didn't have nothing else to do, and so we conned you guys into showing up so we could give them something to do. It's not that. You need to be in the presence of God because you need a refilling. You need to experience him more than just the, the 70, 80 minutes on a Sunday. It's more than that. Many of the people that I find are drowning and, and un, unable to pour anything out into their spouse and into their kids and into their community are the very people that aren't aligning themselves in the week in the word. And they're the very people who aren't worshiping on their own and they're waiting on their pastor to pump every little thing into their mind and into their heart. When was the last time you got alone in the presence of God? When was the last time that you went so all out that you forgot what time it even was? You know, we say a lot of things about the old church and we complain a lot about the new church, but there's some things I'm beginning to see I did in the old church and some of our young people. And one of those is getting so lost in the presence of God that they don't care. You know what almost makes me happy is on a night like tonight, if I get done preaching and I go down to youth and there's a line of parents waiting because our kids are in the presence of God because our kids are on the floor crying out to Jesus. Because at one point in time, it was that moment that changed me. At one point in time, it was that moment that got me away from where I was. And someone uh, in this room, you're struggling. Maybe you're watching online. You're struggling with a mistake you've made in the past. And you've forgiven everybody else but yourself. And you feel like God is just beating you over and over again about this one mistake. But I want you to know that that's not the Lord. That is the enemy. Nothing you've done will ever disqualify you from the grace of the cross. And nothing will disqualify you from the work that Jesus already did. Your mistakes, I don't know who needs to hear this, but your mistakes, they're not the final word. They're not. The only final words ever spoken on this world where it is finished by Jesus on the cross. It's the, only, it's the truest words that have always come to pass. Every mistake you've done is covered under the blood. I used to be in awe of preachers who had incredible stories, incredible testimonies. I mean, like the preachers that were like major drug addicts or just buck wild. And I used to pray a really dumb prayer. I used to say as a young man, 12, 13 years old, Lord, give me a great testimony like that. Well, the Lord granted my request. And my life has been incredibly beautiful, but it's been incredibly painful. 
And let me tell you what, I would take all that pain back to have never experienced it. I would give it all back to God. And, and I want us to raise a generation of children that don't have to talk about all the mistakes they've made, but they've never, they can say, I've never left God. I've never walked away from him. I never picked that stuff up. I never did that stuff. What, why did that not become a badge of honor? Why do we look down on kids that aren't being promiscuous? Oh, you're still a virgin. You're going to college. How, how terrible of a mistake is that? Wow, you lose. We, our culture preaches it to our children. And as parents, you've got to control that. You know, one thing we don't do, though, is we don't share our testimonies enough. We don't share the things that God did for us. And here's what I think many of us are guilty of. We spend a ton of time sharing in our testimony about all the things we did wrong. It's as if we spend 40 minutes giving the devil credit and about, about two minutes giving God the glory for all he did. Let me tell you what, I'm done letting the devil have any more ammo to put in his belt against me. In fact, when I share my story from now on, I'm going to share it to the world about all the good things I've encountered the moment I said yes to Jesus. The moment I gave my heart to him. Who cares what I did in the past? I'm bringing it up and God forgot about it. He's, he doesn't even, he's not even remembering what I'm talking about. He said he cast it as far as the east is from the west. And maybe that's what you need to do tonight. You need to cast it away. You need to wipe it away. Maybe, maybe your marriage right now, maybe you had an argument walking 30 seconds before you walked into this door. Wipe it away. Let God do a supernatural healing in your life. So much of, of the world is needing a story of hope. Why spend so much time on the despair part of your testimony and so little time on what the hope has done in your life? The most important part of your story is not who you were. The most important part of your story is who you're becoming. I'll tell you what, I, I can stand up here all night and talk to you about the promiscuity and the addiction and the life running from the Lord and the mistake after mistake after mistake. I could spend all this time on that, but you know what I want to do? I want to talk about the man that I am now. You know what I am? I'm a dad. You know what I am? I'm a son. You know what I am? I'm a child of the king. You know what I am? I'm forgiven. You know what I am? I'm anointed. You know what I am? I'm called and I'm chosen. And God has a plan for me long before I ever thought. And every time I think he's forgotten about me, I'm reminded that God's been with me the whole time. And just like I have a purpose, you do too. It's time that we walk away from who we were and embrace who God's calling us to be. This church is a beacon of hope. Are you a part of the person? Are you a part of the people that light that light? Are you one of the people that strikes the match to light that flame? I'm going to showcase all the things that God's done for me because guess what? That's the wildest part of this ride is everywhere that he's taken me and the many places he has for me and this church and everyone in here to go. Would you stand with me tonight? I want to give you an opportunity to respond. In fact, I'm going to let our prayer team come down front. I want to give you an opportunity to pray with somebody. I want to give you an opportunity to find a place in the altar if you need to. Maybe you're in here tonight, and I asked you a question at the beginning. I said, hey, how do you handle your mistakes? Maybe you're in here, and you don't handle your mistakes very well. That's okay. There's a supernatural provision for that. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ.